I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is John Oranger, founder of Shutterstock, an online marketplace for images, video clips, and music. The content is crowdsourced with photographers, artists, and other contributors uploading their content in exchange for a percent of revenue when their work is purchased. John started Shutterstock in 2003, and the company went public in 2012. John lives in New York City, where Shutterstock is headquartered. Welcome. Thanks. You grew up in Scarsdale, New York. What do your parents do? My dad was a science teacher near Rochelle. My mom uh, taught special ed in Yonkers. And how would they describe you? Um, I think I was a I was a curious kid. I was constantly taking things apart, putting them back together, trying to build stuff. Um, I was always interested in how things worked. And once I learned how to started learning how to code, started to realize I can tell a computer what to do. That, I found that to be fascinating. You had a, a few odd jobs, you know, as you were growing up. You did fix people's computers. Yep. Uh, you taught guitar. And the interesting thing, actually, about your guitar is that you, you wanted to teach guitar, so you learned how to play guitar first so that you could teach it. Yeah, well, it actually turned out, um, and I think a lot of teachers would say this, that the best way to learn something is actually to to try to teach it. Um, so I started putting up flyers around the around Scarsdale with little pull-off tabs with my phone number on it, um, and I quickly learned how to kind of put it together a couple of lessons. You went to Stony Brook uh, for college, and then you pursued a master's at Columbia in computer science. What were some of the jobs that you held uh, after graduating? Um, actually, I never, I never really got a job. I had this skill I could program. So even f- in high school, what I was doing was I was creating little uh, kind of Windows applications. At the time, Windows was the, the most popular operating system. Um, and if I could create something that uh, people would spend some money on, uh, that was kind of exciting. So I started to look for problems people had. Uh, one of those problems were pop-ups, uh, these kind of annoying advertisements that would interfere with your web browsing. The first one was kind of a security and privacy tool. When cookies were starting to become an issue, uh, people were afraid they were being tracked. In the beginning of all these businesses, I would do every part of them. I was a customer service rep. I was the programmer. Um, I, uh, I was the designer. Uh, I did QA. You also, after college, you tried to start a dating site. Yeah, there were a whole bunch of different sites that that I kind of iterated through, and turns out there was a lot of competition in the in the, in the dating website world. The website that that I created with a few friends didn't didn't take off, so we kind of ditched it pretty quickly. What was it called? It was called Particular Personals. What were some other companies that you kind of tried and failed at or were working on before you launched Shutterstock? One was a legal services firm that would monitor people's trademarks. Um, That worked for a little while, uh, made some revenue, didn't really go far. But what it would do is it would monitor uh, a trademark that you registered. As other people were registering things that maybe sounded like it or could infringe on it, since as a trademark owner, it's your responsibility to defend those and to find them yourself, this tool would find it for you. turned out uh, there was a lot of competition in that space, too. What was your parents' view of what you were doing even before, you know, starting Shutterstock coding and trying to start internet companies? More than 10, I think you tried. Yeah, I think they I think they knew that I could be self-sufficient and I could I would be fine because there was 
cash coming into my my account usually doing something um, but they probably didn't quite know what, what what to think but there were a couple of dynamics going on I did not want to get a job in fact mm-hmm. I was pretty sure I wasn't employable mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think I was gonna be able to last anywhere even if I got a job did you ever have a conventional job I don't think so mm-hmm. I mean I probably for a couple of days delivered pizza in high school so I kind of I kind of knew deep down I had to figure something else out. I always knew I could I could fall back on an hourly gig of of, of fixing people's computers, um, and I also knew that if I needed to get a job as a software developer, I could find that. Um, so that kind of took some risk out of the equation. Um, it allowed me to pursue and fail. Um, and so I just kept iterating through everything I could find. I used every website I could find. I used every product I can find. Mm-hmm. Um, I became kind of uh, uh, like an online uh, expert in, in everything that was being developed out there. What I realized is that when I was marketing all of these products, it was hard to find images. That was the germ, in a way, for Shutterstock, because, as you're saying, you needed images to go along with the content to make it more appealing to potential customers. And you started to create images yourself. You bought a camera and went out and just shot hundreds of thousands of, of photographs. At what point were you were you thinking, you know what, this is this is going to be yet another business that I'm going to try? Well, at that point, the, the pop-up blocker sort of went right out of business because Microsoft uh, built it for free into Internet Explorer, which turned out to be uh, a very successful failure for me because it it let me kind of sit back and think about uh, what else I could create. Um, I knew I was interested in photography, but I also knew that as an internet marketer, there was no real resource out there to um, easily get images. Um, there was this rights managed model where lots of photos were sold under at the time. Uh, where you had to tell this calculator where you were going to use the image, how you're using the image, how long you're using the image for, what territory. The Internet has no territory. When you put an image out on the Internet, the whole world is going to see it. Um, and you can't just pay for the United States, for instance, like you could in the print world. You know, I looked at lots of uh, these stock photo companies and tried to figure out, could I create this content? Mm-hmm. Um, if I spent a whole year just creating content, would I be able to compete with these sites? I bought a digital SLR. I bought a Canon Digital Rebel uh, in 2003. It was one of the first digital SLRs to drop below $1,000. And I would just shoot everything around me. And I iteratively became a stock photographer really quick. I started to put these shots um, on a website called Shutterstock and charge a one-time fee for them per month. Download whatever you need. And uh, the images actually started to fly off the shelves. I was watching the data that came in on the companies that were buying, and it was companies of all sizes. I realized I wasn't the only one having this mm-hmm. problem. The images I created were not that great. I mean, I was not a good photographer. What were some of them? They were um, the the coffee mug that I was drinking out of in the morning. They were people walking down the street. If I found a cool spot to take pictures of New York City, I would go to to a, to a roof deck and do that. Um, it was everything I could find around me, including my friends, who I eventually talked into signing model releases. You mentioned that you were surprised by the response. Was there one or two particular visitors or customers who bought and you thought, oh, wow, Dunkin' Donuts even wants to use this? It lent some credibility to it? Um, I, don't, I don't remember too many specifics, but um, I do remember 
that I recognized the companies coming in. They were agencies that when I Googled them and I looked up the, the, the business, they represented companies that I understood what was going on at that point. The people that were buying my images had no other option. It, you know, we mentioned your guitar playing before, and you know, I thought about you know how you learned how to play guitar in order to teach it, just as you learned how to take photos in order to sell them. Um, yeah, it, I think that's an important part of kind of these these businesses that I started. Is that I was always the first customer. Um, I was always trying to figure out how to how to how to get the images that now I was going to try to supply the world with. You see that demand is higher than you might have thought. What came next? The demand started to outstrip the supply. I was able to create tens of thousands of images. I realized quickly I needed millions. So if I was able to not be the only contributor and create an open-sourced kind of uh, crowd-sourced model where anyone could sell, um, could I do the math here and, and figure it out? Um, and I settled on 25 images a day. It seemed like uh, at that rate, business, uh, a single user was able to get everything they needed throughout a month. And then I could back into a calculation where I could pay out 30% of everything that was coming in uh, to contributors. And at that point, I was able to kind of open up the marketplace to both sides. We take for granted the words like crowdsource. Oh, I crowdsourced it. But, you know, that that's, that's not a term that was ubiquitous or well-known in the vernacular in early 2000s. How did you source from the crowd? I, I started with, um, with online forums. I found these forums of people that were photographers helping each other out to create a better shot. So the, the kind of idea I had at that point was I contacted a few of them and I said, you guys are creating images just like I am. I'm making this much money off them. Would you like to too? And if you'd like to refer your friends, I'll pay you for the referrals too. So I started to kind of create some influencers. At the time, they were excited um, about about being able to monetize something that they were never able to monetize before. You have 70,000 contributors. Who were the, the first one or two? What was their profile? They were all people that loved photography but had something else as their main job. So they were hobbyist photographers that wanted to get better at doing what they were doing. They wanted to buy that next lens uh, that has always been expensive. This was the thing that they would do the second they left work. That you, was the profile. Now, what is the range of, of income that you know a contributor might experience? Contributors make any, anywhere from a few dollars a month to hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. There are definitely small businesses that have been created. There are definitely uh, sole proprietors that are making more than they did at their jobs now. Mm -hmm. What was like a, a pivot moment for you? I mean, you saw from the inception that there was real demand and you got contributors to, to, to buy in. Was there a pivot moment for you where, you know, things started to escalate even more so? The, the, the moment that this started, to, that I started to realize that this could work was when I was able to get supply in that met demand. Mm. And that's important because the entire marketplace is kind of organically driven, right? And I didn't realize this at first, but what was happening was contributors would come in, they would upload some images, and they would watch what was happening. In real time, they would get paid. They would watch what was getting sold, and then they would create more images like that. And when I started to see that happen, I started to realize that the entire marketplace, what was 
going to be critical was that I need to keep that connection going because um, otherwise the contributors are never going to know what the buyers want and vice versa. So there were other agencies that started at the time where this wasn't the case. And and it's important that that that's there because that's what creates the network effect. And what what was going on with John Oranger, like your personal life at the time while all this is happening? I was I was starting to get used to the fact that I wasn't a one man show anymore, and I had to uh, learn how to manage people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that turned out to be pretty difficult. I suddenly went from never. Uh, working in an office to having a whole group of people that were my employees and having to get out of your pajamas if you needed to, yeah. right? I mean, you're at, you're at, you're at home. <laughs> I was working from home, so now now I was starting to to have an office I would go to every day. From the get go, uh, you did not raise venture capital, um, partly because you didn't need it, or was that wholly because you didn't need it? It was. It was it was because I didn't need it. Um, it was also because I didn't know how to get it. It was also because New York was not a place where people, where venture capitalists understood tech companies. Um, so I was able to kind of uh, uh, stay under the radar for many years, and kind of and build this pro- company that was constantly profitable um, because I had made it really efficient. And at what point did people start to recognize you as well? I mean, they're generating a lot of revenue. You have a, an IPO in 2012, and six months after, you're over a billion in market cap. When did the industry start recognizing you, even before the, I, the IPO? Well, photographers also always knew about us, and designers did too, but it's, it's a pretty... It's a pretty concentrated uh, world of people. We're a business-to-business product, so we don't show up on consumer screens. Um, by 2008, just about every graphic designer around knew about us. A lot of businesses knew about us. Around 2010 is when people started to notice. Uh, and then around 2012 was, uh, was when we went public, and then there was no going back. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is John Oranger, founder of Shutterstock, a crowdsourced marketplace for photos, illustrations, graphics, video clips, and music. The company has over 50 million images that small businesses, corporations, and other users can purchase at affordable prices. John launched Shutterstock in 2003, and the company went public in fall 2012. John has been called Silicon Alley's first billionaire, meaning that Shutterstock was the first tech company launched in New York City to earn a market cap of above a billion dollars. And John's owning more than 50% of the company, thus made you the first new Silicon Alley billionaire. But it's ironic that you took no venture capital because Silicon Alley is, we think of as, you know, these venture-backed companies. Yeah, yeah, it is. We did do a private equity round with Insight. Later. Later. But in the beginning, I kind of didn't want someone telling me how to run the business. That was It was always important to me to have complete control over what was going on and, and be as independent as possible. You're now in more than 150 countries and in over 20 languages. What cultural dynamics do you recognize? Are there any kind of patterns that you see, let's say, in the Netherlands versus New York versus Japan? Yeah, we're all over the world. Um, And we answer the phones in New York in 20 different languages. And we translate the site into Japanese as the first language. And what happened was we were able to sell images in a country that we didn't have any customer support for, um, completely self-serve product, uh, 
just by translating the website. And so once we realized that, we translated the site into 20 different languages from there. The search part of the website is is important. And we have a whole team of people uh, trying to make sure that uh, your search is local, your search is relevant to, to where you're searching from. If someone in Japan searches for food, you want sushi to come up. If someone in the U.S. searches for food, you want, uh, you know, hamburger to show up or something, something relevant. Do you recognize the site's own f- uh, images out there in the world? Yeah, anywhere from a blog to uh, an online news publication to a billboard uh, would be using our images. Hollywood films use our video. So, what's an example of some films or TV shows? I mean, House of Cards is one. What are some other examples? With stock video, what you can do is you can use uh, use something that may have been hard to create uh, as a transition, for instance. So, documentaries tend to use uh, a city uh, time lapse from sunrise to sunset really quickly. So, um, we have every city on Shutterstock. Uh, and and so documentaries use a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting more and more popular for websites to use video. Mm-hmm. It's getting more popular for advertising to use video. Um, and it's getting more popular uh, for Hollywood to start using stock video because we're getting such amazing creative stuff, and uh, it's it's very well-priced. You're a helicopter pilot. Why are you interested in helicopters? I've always been interested in in helicopters and flying and how they work. And in 2010, I uh, I decided to uh, take take a helicopter lesson. Um, I always wanted to do it, and I took that lesson. And I realized uh, this is something I want to learn. I want to get a license to be able to fly this thing on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a while. It took like a year, year and a half. I went through uh, kind of the entire training that any helicopter would pilot would go through. Um, it took me a little longer because I also have the day job to deal with, but um, it was awesome, and uh, and I love it. I still do it up till up till today. You're also taking drumming lessons. I I'm always looking for kind of fun things to learn that are outside the scope of what I do every day. Both flying a helicopter and and, and playing drums, they're they're both they're both super tedious to learn. So you have to put all of your concentration into it. Um, I find that when I'm able to get into something like that, um, that kind of uh, distraction helps me with, with, with the other parts of, of my job and my life. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. My guest has been John Oranger. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. Thank you.